Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yurika Talbo. Hello, welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Dane Reese, professional entertainer and creator and host of the You Booked It podcast. Dane, hello. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hello, Yuri. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, my absolute pleasure. So where are, where are you located and, and how are things in your neck of the woods? For sure. So <laughs> currently, it's been a crazy year, right? Uh, currently, ah. currently, I am in South Australia. <laughs> <laughs> really? So yeah, my wife is Aussie. Okay. And uh, when, so we were living in Vegas and we'd been mm -hmm. there for the last seven and a half years or so, but uh, due to pandemic stuff and other family things, uh, we, we made the move down here a little bit ahead of schedule, but mm. all is good in this neck of the woods for sure. Uh, you know, reversed seasons, which is always fun. Yeah. And then... Uh, there's not really a whole lot of COVID going on where I'm at. So things are a bit more calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. Your government took that very seriously and kind of, you know, followed science, which is nice. Um, wait, so what time is it? Is it really super early in the morning or time? Relatively. It's 730 okay. in the morning. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> the then next that's... day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're calling me from the future, which is great. Um... And, and it looks good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, so Dan, for my listeners who are less familiar with you and your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So I am an entertainer. I've been professionally entertaining for the past nearly 17 years. Mm -hmm. And I, you mentioned that you are from the Boston area when we were in our little pre-chat. Yeah. And I actually went to the Boston Conservatory for musical theater. Uh, so quite familiar with Boston and yeah. wonderful place. Love that city. And that school was very musical theater driven. And that's really uh, a lot of what my career has been. Mm -hmm. But I've also just performed all over the place in all different parts and aspects of the entertainment industry from musical theater, which makes sense, but mm -hmm. also to production shows. And I've done cruise ships and I've done the Vegas thing. And I've done a lot of mascotting and suit work randomly. I've sung with symphonies and orchestras. I've worked on the production side of things as a equity stage manager and things like this and a corporate producer. So I've been all over the industry and have gotten myself like a really I guess, all-encompassing view of what this industry is on a professional level. Yeah. And I prefer it that way. You know, there's a lot of people that I know that they really just, they they dance or they only do straight theater or they only do film. And that's totally cool. Mm -hmm. That works for them. But I've always just wanted to say yes to everything and take on so many different experiences. And that's, it's worked for me. And I've had a fantastic career because of it. 
Yeah, that's well, that's wonderful. And again, I, I well, you answered my other question, which was because you define yourself as an entertainer, and so many of the people that I have spoken with on this podcast and know in my in my personal life, you know, say define themselves a little more narrowly than than you have. And so that's this is interesting. I'm before we go a little bit further. I'm your accent. Are you were you are you Canadian? No, I grew up no. in Montana, but I've, like I said, my wife's Aussie. Oh, right. And, okay. And I've, I've had, I've worked with, a, I have a lot of friends, I should say, that are from the UK and things like this. So I think I got weird stuff that slips in there <laughs> here and there. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, sorry, because we talked about <laughs> Montana before then. Yeah, just how, how you said the word bean, bin. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, is that maybe? But, you know, if you're, you're close to the border there and or close enough anyway, maybe that there's yeah. something little slips down in, in the accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just curious. So, so yeah, so in your career then going from, let's say from what you studied in, in Boston Conservatory, mm-hmm. how has, how have things developed with your, your journey on, on when you decided the next job to take? Was it, um, you know, out of necessity? Was it out of curiosity? And how did that, how did you kind of manage your career since you've encompassed so many elements of the entertainment industry? Yeah, for sure. So when I first got out of the conservatory, I moved to New York, of course, and mm-hmm. got myself an agent and, you know, did the New York thing. It was very much a, a Broadway or bus kind of school, right? And yeah. uh, went there and uh, showed up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed as you will and started the audition grind right and I remember the first big job that I booked was a brand new ship that was going international it was a brand new build you got to work with uh, in creation working in building five brand new shows with the choreographers which is a very unique experience uh, in any aspect of this industry really to be part of creation of something and I had always wanted to do that. And I was like, oh, this is going to be really, really good. So I, I told my agent, and he goes, right, you booked it, but I don't think we're going to take it. Because I, uh, I hadn't been in New York City all that long. And I said, mm-hmm. look, man, I, I'm going to take it. One, because it's really <laughs> cool. And second, there was the necessity element. I had student loans that were coming due. And I'm like, I got to make money. Yeah. <laughs> so if I get to perform and do what I've been training to do, plus travel, plus pay all my bills, then I'm going to take it. So Mm -hmm. that first job was really uh, a combination of necessity and just landing something that I thought was really exciting. And from there, I met who is now my wife. And I never made it back to New York, which is totally cool. (laughs) And we've, she's she's a dancer, and we've traveled the world and performed. And I've just kind of went with where things were going. I was always open to just performing. And I think when I first went into the industry, I thought, you know, it's going to be Broadway. It's got to be Broadway, 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 Broadway. That was my mindset, right? Mm -hmm. And as I started performing and as I started working professionally, I realized being on Broadway wasn't actually my goal. And while it's a fantastic market and a great place to perform, my what I realized was my goal was simply to always be working in this industry professionally. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to be a waiter 90% of the time and perform 10% of the time. I wanted to perform all the time. So I mm-hmm. made career decisions uh, that allowed me to do that. 
Yeah. Wait, so sorry, before you continue, that's so that's a, a very strong and important realization. And I was wondering, because and I and, you know, I, I have a, you know, I kind of came at the, let's say the theater world on the on the design side of it, but I had a similar mm. kind of goal. And I worked a little bit on Broadway before the for the economy collapsed. But I'm curious, because that is, in so many people's minds, that is the ultimate goal of like, I will only work on Broadway, or I will do nothing else. Where, yeah. what was that? Like, what were you doing when you had that realization of like, you know what, this is actually not what I want to do. I want to do something else because of X, Y, and Z. You know, if I'm really honest with myself, that realization came when I was young and before I even pursued the arts. I didn't get involved in the arts, singing, dancing, acting until yeah. quite late, till I was about 17 and a half years old. I, I played sports. I played a lot of football, a lot of baseball, and a series of injuries uh, forced me out of them mm -hmm. really quickly within the span of about four months, both sports. And I suddenly had nothing to do, right? And then I, the arts kind of found me. I'm like, oh my gosh, all this physicality plus creativity, this is, this is my jam. This is what I like. And I, <laughs> you know, I just kept moving forward with that. But mm -hmm. it took me a while to discover it you know, in the traditional sense. Uh, but I do remember sitting in my parents' kitchen when I was younger. And I think it was like the first Backstreet Boys album had come out. Slash, <laughs> um, like the NSYNC had come to America, did their Disney special. I don't know if you ever remember seeing that. <laughs> and uh, I remember just sitting there and listening to this album and going, mm -hmm. you know what would be fun? Is entertaining. I mm. think I just want to entertain. Mm -hmm. and, that's as, and that's honestly as far as the conversation or the thought in my head even really went. It had no idea of, what that meant. I had no idea what different markets were available, what you could possibly do in the entertainment industry. I'm like, I just want to entertain. Yeah. And then that just sat and I continued on playing sports and things like this. And then I went off and did the conservatory thing. And then I went to New York and started, you know, professionally entertaining. And after a handful of, after a couple of contracts and a couple of gigs, I realized, hey, I remember having that conversation with myself and having that thought. And I said, that's it. That's that's really what I want to do. It was not, I had no hierarchy in my brain of what is worth something or has more value or not. Is mm -hmm. I just wanted to be working professionally and entertaining people. That's all I wanted. Mm -hmm. That's great. So I'm, I'm very curious about this. I, I need to ask you about your time as a mascot and, and what an award-winning <laughs> mascot does. Um, so how did you get into, is it called mascotting or just being a professional mascot? T tell me about that. I don't know. You know, I think every single time I write mascotting on the computer, it tells me it's spelled wrong. But I'm like, how do you, how do yeah. you spell this? I don't know. I tried all the variations. None of them are right. Go and ahead. yeah, and that came about. So like I said, I grew up in Missoula, Montana. Mm -hmm. And Missoula, Montana is, it's a small place, right? But it is a crazy college town and people are fanatic about their football. And we got a stadium of about 22,000-ish people, I believe it was then. Mm -hmm. And I had just, you know, in the last year or so, year and a half, had been uh, getting into performing and stuff like that. I went into, uh, I was going, getting prepped to go to university and okay. uh, an audition came up. They're like, this new group of people that I knew, right? All these entertainers and dancers and things are like, hey, this is an audition. They're auditioning for the mascot. The guy's leaving. And I said, oh, 
cool, I'll, I'll go audition for that. And then I got it, of course. And it was a really great experience because the guy who trained me, his name is Barry Anderson. He recently retired as Benny the Bull from being Benny the Bull for the Chicago Bulls for many years. Yeah. Uh, so he was a great person to be trained by and very lucky for that. But through that experience, it was an amazing experience. I got, you know, every single Saturday on football games, I got to entertain, you know, open up the entire show, like mm -hmm. on a motorcycle with smoke, 20,000 plus people and getting them jacked up and pumped up about the game, which was amazing. Yeah. But Capital One started doing this competition for finding the best collegiate mascots. Mm -hmm. And you had to essentially make a show reel slash there was a, a voting element to it. And, and we won. So that was cool. And got to go, you know, out to New York and do a handful of TV shows as, as the mascot, of course. Yeah. And then that was my first taste, I guess, of mascotting. And it's a really fun art form, if you want to call it mm -hmm. that. I don't know. It's, it's a bit like clowning, but it's, it's just, it's very cool. I really enjoy it. And then I have had a couple other cool things where I was Rob Master. I originated the role of Rob Master, which is this giant, like $300,000, 14-foot costume uh, for Rock and Rio, which is the world's largest music festival out of Rio de Janeiro. Uh, and then I've originated a, a cricket uh, professional mascot down here in Australia. So mascotting is oddly found it's way into my life and I don't really know why it just has. Um, it's not that I've actively pursued it really, but uh, it's, it keeps finding me. And when the gigs come, I'm happy to do them. Yeah. So what makes, what makes a good mascot? Like, because nobody can really, you know, it's, it's been like, it's been a while since I've seen a mascot, but you know, your, your whole body's covered up and yeah. So you're, you know, kind of like what you see at that uh, Walt Disney world, but so, yeah, what makes a good mascot? How do you keep animated and move around? Are there like tricks of the trade where you're like, you know, that you, other than don't take your head off in front of the children that <laughs> that uh, that are passed down as like trade secrets or just good things to know if you're going to be a mascot? Yeah, you know, a lot of it has to do with your costume. Some costumes really lend themselves to being very animated, some and movement. Others are not good. <laughs> and I was very lucky uh with that first one uh his name is monty the bear mm -hmm. and he allowed pretty much complete full range of motion you could tumble in him you could do anything uh the helmet was effectively uh, a hockey helmet that a taxidermist put <laughs> loads of stuff on too right okay. and because of that you had all this range of motion but it's also in the face having very uh a neutral face that can kind of be whatever and there's a lot of I guess, art, if you will, and creativity that goes into creating a a look or a face of a mascot that allows it to have an emotional range depending on your physicality. And mm -hmm. that's really what it comes down to is you and being inside. It's all the physicality, the physical acting, the physical humor, mm. and really being able to be larger than life and portray emotions through your movement. And I always, always say to people, I'm like, you might not think that my face obviously isn't moving, you know, on... <laughs> on the inside but you know your face is going my face personally when i'm in a suit goes <laughs> wild it's doing yeah. everything that you would think you would be doing you know based on what whatever the actions are you know every single photo shoot you betcha i'm smiling just as much you know <laughs> behind that thing even though no, no one sees it but that kind of having that energy in you also extends from you so it's really mm -hmm. important to have that yeah 
That's that's exciting. Okay, so during your career, then, as you said before, you know, before you moved to where you are, you were you were living in Vegas. Mm. Uh, what made you want to move to Las Vegas? Yeah, so I initially had a had heard good things about it from people that I'd known, mm-hmm. uh, but. The, Interestingly, the people that I heard good things about were always West Coast people. Anyone on the East Coast was like, oh, Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so yeah. it's it's very strange. It's this weird mentality. But uh, there was a beautiful show. At this time, I had, by the time we moved, I had been married. We, My wife and I, we got married. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a really beautiful show called Jubilee. Uh, it was the last great American showgirl show. And she had worked in Paris at uh, a cabaret called Le Nouvelle, which is where the can-can was invented and mm-hmm. uh, all these wonderful things. And she's a beautiful showgirl. And that art form is so subtle and so specific and she's so good at it. She goes, I would love to do that show. I'm like, well, let's let's do it. Let's let's give it a go. So we showed up there and turns out Vegas is an amazing market because there's nothing but entertainment <laughs> there. Well, you know, pre-COVID, right. of course. <laughs> right, It'll of come course. back. But... <laughs> There's nothing but entertainment. The entire city is built around the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And there's so many shows. And it, I, it's almost like this gold mine that no one really talks about. I think it, the word might be getting out a bit more. But it's an amazing market to perform in. If you want to be an entertainer who entertains for a living, Vegas is a brilliant market to be in. Because... Pre-COVID, of course, again, there were, you know, over 100 shows that were longstanding shows, all of which were legitimate opportunities for you to be a part of and be cast in. Then there's the entire corporate industrial scene, which is insane. Uh, I think Vegas has something like 26 or 27,000 conventions every single year, and a large percentage of those hire entertainment. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a, a one-off, you know, two-minute dance or a song or it's a full-on full-blown production show with all the bells and whistles there's so much to do all the time and then it's also just a great hub i think to perform out of and what i discovered is it's a brilliant place for entertainers that want to entertain Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah i mean it's you're right like this this i mean vegas is is shows and um i i go there well before covid i used to go there every once in a while for you know for corporate meetings and that kind of stuff and same kind of thing like you know, I'm there. I'm always trying to frantically book as many shows as I possibly can in between everything else. Because when you're, you know, when in Vegas, go to shows. Like, why not? That's exactly great. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious then about your, so your podcast, the You Booked yeah. It podcast. What what made you want to start that? And, and what's your podcast about? For sure. So the podcast came about because, well, first off, what it is about is about discovering what the true fundamentals are that create a successful career because this industry is crazy huge once you get into it you know Mm -hmm. people go i'm a dancer and then you look and you're like oh wait there's just within dancing there's so many different niches of the dance world that you can slot yourself into and most of us work our way through various parts of the industry as our careers develop as we get older and things like this and I wanted to create a podcast that really dug into what those fundamentals are. How do you navigate a career successfully? How do you transition through different parts of your career successfully? And the idea of 
creating that came about because of my personal experience getting into the industry. So as I mentioned, I didn't start singing, dancing, acting until a bit later in my teens. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the Boston Conservatory, which was brilliant school. So, so such good training. But I, I left the school with like this insane amount of debt. But then I was sitting in my apartment. I go, wait, I, I don't actually know how to make my skills make me money. Mm. I don't know mm -hmm. how to turn this skill set into a career. And, I, and it blew my mind. Like, how is it possible that I just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars getting educated and increasing this amazing, like getting this amazing skill set? And I, now I don't know how to use it effectively in the world. That was mind boggling to me. Mm -hmm. So I go, surely I'm not the only one. And then, you know, throughout my career, I would always be the person on gigs or contracts. I would always be very transparent about everything, about the kind of money I'm making, who booked me, how I got booked, and had those conversations with people to just figure out how the heck this industry works. And turns out pretty much all of us were in the same boat. We didn't we're just floundering around not really knowing how to make these these things happen. You you found you find the companies that are shortchanging people, the companies that pay people well and take care of their their talent really well. And mm -hmm. the only way you find this information is that you have these conversations and and be transparent about it. So that's why I created the podcast is to have those conversations. And on the podcast, something that I do that's uh, a bit unique is that I ask the same series of questions to all my guests. Okay. So the idea is it makes it easier for anyone that's listening, you know, to multiple episodes, mm -hmm. it's easier to extract the the lesson and the knowledge. So it's less about having uh, just an open conversation, but more about we really want to pull out and extract very specific information from every single episode. Okay. What would you say have been some interesting, I guess, things you learned that you didn't realize before having the because it's interesting because you're having the same conversation with everybody. So I'm just curious, are there, are there patterns or things that you've learned that you're like, oh, I didn't see that one coming? Uh, as far as, gosh, I don't know. As far as not seeing that one coming. Mm -hmm. So as far as people booking their, their thing, their booked it moment, if you will, sure. uh, it's something that I experienced, but it's not something that I realized was a common thing. Okay. I thought it was just my thing. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. that was that really surprised me. And it's the the idea or the fact that every single person that has that I've spoken to that has booked their thing, right, whatever it might be, any kind of big gig or contract, is that their mindset, their mental state, and the way they feel in the room and when they leave the room is the same across the board. Hmm. There is this sense of almost indifference, of calm, of being present is really what it is. And it's, there's, even though you might be auditioning for something that is huge, that can be life-changing, career-changing, all of those ideas, all of that pressure, all of the stakes of it don't exist in those auditions where people book it. Mm -hmm. It's just something that people go in, they are themselves, they just do what they do, and they leave the room, and pretty much everyone feels like, they're like, yeah, 
I think I got that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's well, that's, that's fascinating on that. So I'm I'm curious because you have um, so many conversations with with artists in a lot of different industries, and and you yourself um, working in the entertainment in industry. What are some things that you learned in 2020 that you think are will be happening in, in the industry or will be changing in 2021 and, and going further beyond the, you know, the, the I guess the obvious kind of COVID um, setups where everybody has to be very careful about when they're opening and just kind of, you know, things are, are a little bit uncertain, but are there, are there trends that you're looking at or noticing from the, the entertainment side of it um, that, that you think will be popping up a lot more in 2021? For sure. I think on the individual actor or talent or person level, mm -hmm. the awareness of and the importance of uh, mental health is mm. and mindset is huge. I think COVID has allowed us all a bit of a break, a bit of time of reflection to stop and pause <laughs> and <laughs> uh, look at our careers and go, wait, you know, how I feel, my mental, my mental health is also a huge factor of, mm -hmm. you know, how I'm able to show up in the room to audition, how I'm able to get through a contract. Uh, so I think the, the importance of mental health and mindset, I think are going, are here to stay. Finally, mm -hmm. uh, it's all, always been a thing, right? But it's one of those things that people haven't really talked about too much. And I think it's really come to the forefront now. And I think that's going to be uh, an aspect of our careers that people really truly take seriously now and mm -hmm. use it as an asset and something that needs to be cultivated and nurtured uh, in order to have a successful career and create a successful career in this industry. Uh, but then also, like many industries have found, is the digitization of our industry. There's a lot of stuff happening, you know, on Zoom, uh, a lot of virtual stuff. I was working, for instance, as a virtual, uh, as a producer and stage manager for mm -hmm. a really large corporate conference, mm -hmm. big national sales meeting, right? Traditionally, that would be in some ballroom in some giant hotel somewhere, right? But it's virtual. And I think more of that's going to be happening. Uh, as far as when we can go back in live theater, of course, there's nothing you can really do to replace live theater, live entertainment. There's that energy uh, exchange between the audience and the performers that you just don't get <laughs> looking at a screen. And the way I see and what I'm hearing, the way technology is really gonna influence that is how things are cast. And it's going to be really great because it's going to allow more people to be seen. It's going to allow the casting directors the writers, the people that are putting together the show mm -hmm. to have a broader range of talent to pull from. The film industry has already been doing this for quite a while with self-tapes and with actors access, but I think it's really going to take off in the, in the live theater world. I mean, just think about if you wanted to audition for a Broadway show, if just the idea of auditioning for a Broadway show is a massive financial investment mm. you have to be in new york city basically i mean mm -hmm. yes there's some auditions that happen in new york or in la and in some other you know large cities but you have to be in that city and you have to 
afford living in that city and you have to show up and you have to have the ability to be off from a job if that's what you have like you have to be able to find the time in your schedule to train and to do those things and also pursue this career so it's there is a barrier of entry to that but with the ability to submit and self-tape for auditions at least for the for a first look you know what i mean you can they can really filter people down digitally pretty mm -hmm. quickly it's going to bring the idea of getting cast in these giant productions it's going to make it so much more accessible for so many more people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, really cool thing. And then I think also we see like Hamilton, for instance, on Disney Plus, they was super successful with, you know, being filmed and really cool like that. There's yeah. also I've been hearing uh, rumors and ideas that, hey, why don't we do like this hybrid filming thing where, say, we sell tickets to the live show when we can go back live mm -hmm. and you would have that traditional theater experience. But let's be really clever about where we put cameras and do a really good high production quality live stream where you can have camera moves and things like this. So it would be a very different experience, but it would be, you know, another audience that you can you can have. And for a producer of a show, that's a whole nother revenue stream for them, which could be huge and very lucrative. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's it, it reminds me of so b back in my days in theater school, watching old productions of shows which were, you know, uh, filmed terribly because most of the time it's it's a camera at the back of the theater and the equipment yeah. not so good because it was an afterthought. It was like, you know, the, the whole idea was you go to the theater to experience theater and then the recording is an afterthought. And it's just like I, for archival purposes. Yes, yes, exactly. So, <laughs> so you're like, so, you know, you're watching these brilliant these brilliant productions, but you're like, oh, I, I can't even like begin to think about what it was like to actually be there live in person. And the watching the Hamilton side of it, I, I haven't been able to see Hamilton live. And I, I know it's not exactly the same, but just the production quality, the sound quality, it everything seemed much more, uh, you know, uh, correct in what they were and what they were doing and on purpose rather than just like, let's set up this camera at the back. Mm. And to actually give people the experience of of maybe what it's like sitting there and experiencing what's happening with the, with the audience as well, so I'm I'm particularly excited about um, yeah that that merging of the digital and physical and how that can kind of come out come about. I'm I'm curious in in your own career and and you know given the fact again that you spend a lot of time chatting with other entertainers about the idea of fear and. And it comes in a, you know, I think in multiple ways, particularly as an entertainer, the, you know, being on stage in front of people, but also the, you know, the idea of, of whether or not you're, protect, you're potentially good at your craft. And I would say, especially now, given COVID hit of like, whether or not you'll have a job in this same way moving forward, but in, in your own career, how have you thought about fear in in different areas and how have you been able to overcome this idea of fear and move on and and can you do, can you do to progress in your career yeah fear uh it's no joke right so everyone experiences it no one that i've ever spoken to is void of it doesn't matter how successful their careers have been so we all have it um but yeah you have to eventually deal with it or work through it if you want to do the thing right mm -hmm. um how do i do it it's i think working through fear is really 
a habit and a, a muscle almost. It's something that becomes practiced because if you if you feed the fear and if you give it attention and you let it do whatever and stop you or hinder you, then it just keeps getting harder and harder and harder to break through versus just it's like pulling the bandaid off, you know? Mm -hmm. And the fact is you're going to fail. You're going to screw up. It's you're going to maybe make some people angry. It doesn't it doesn't matter though. At the end of the day, the you have to look at it as your success and your your growth and your movement forward and you need to take it from that perspective i think uh that way you do that and you prove yourself oh i had a lot of anxiety a lot of fear mm. about doing this that or the other thing you do it and you go great nothing fell apart it's okay yeah that those people not very happy oh i fell on my face okay fine let's go do it again and the more you do it the easier it gets and not only the easier it gets the further out that uh that discomfort level you can take it you can start doing bigger things mm -hmm. and taking bigger leaps and bigger steps into the unknown. So it has to be a practice thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So with, with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? Yeah, it would be to figure out what it is that you really want and get as clear on that as you possibly can, then you can make better decisions. Uh, to give an example, um, I wasn't really clear, right? When I first started my career, I was like, oh, I thought I needed to be on Broadway. I needed to go to New York. I needed to do that because everyone was doing that. You know, mm -hmm. all my friends, all my peers, uh, as far as I could tell, that's the only way to be successful in this industry, right? And if you, take the moment or if I would have taken the moment to really sit down and really spend time with myself and go, okay, what is it do I really, really, really want out of my career mm -hmm. and have no judgment about it? It would have, I would have answered that question. I would have found, oh, you just want to entertain. And I would have made different decisions. I would have made different decisions on education for sure, mm -hmm. uh, on where to even be trained if I would have known to ask myself those questions. And if you know, if you can get clear on what you really want, that will help direct you into the market you want to live in or what market would best serve what you're trying to do, whether that's, you know, a market being a city or whatever, right? Um, and you can start fine tuning and niching down what is best for you. And of course, you can adapt and change as your career develops and your life goes on. But getting as much clarity on something mm -hmm. as possible before you press go is is the best piece of advice I've gotten. Hmm. That's great. So Dane, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I, I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to listen to your podcast or follow what you're doing um, in, in other areas, where is the best place they can go to do all of that? Yeah, for sure. So the podcast is available on quite literally every <laughs> podcasting uh, platform. So whichever one you dig, you can find you booked it there. Also, if you want to come say hi, I'm most active on Instagram. So it's at you booked it podcast, or of course the website, you booked it podcast.com. Oh, and 
yesterday, but it won't be yesterday <laughs> by the time this comes out. Uh, we we just launched a thing called the You Booked It community, and I'm super excited about it. It mm -hmm. is an extension of the podcast, really. So the podcast, of course, has wonderful, wonderful guests that come on and really share these fundamentals and how to navigate a career. But the community is taking it just to the next level and bringing in a lot of the past podcast guests who include, you know, Tony winners, Broadway performers, film people. It's so much going on in there. But then also, now we can have conversations and really learn how to navigate, learn how to transition through different parts of your careers, have the conversations, develop the relationships with different people that are professionals in the industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm also bringing in masterclass teachers regularly, a couple of them a month. So uh, it's a fantastic resource if you are in the entertainment world. Hmm, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. I will, I will put those links in the show notes so people can click right through and uh, that will be great. So again, Thank you so much for taking the time with me today, Dane. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Yuri. It's been great. Excellent. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Blackbones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me, or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much, and have a great day.